Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody, welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we have been talking about a bunch of the most important, most interesting, most exciting graphic novels and comic book runs of all time. As comic books have been on pause for the past couple of weeks here. Good news. Comic books are coming back real soon. Which yeah. means maybe we'll continue with this. Maybe we'll go back to regular comics. Who even knows? Let's go back to regular comics. Just regular regular comics? Just regular yeah. old Pete. I'll yeah. tell you what, though. I like covering these sort of big big comics, big issues. I like hearing that people want us to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. No, Pete hates people. Doesn't like yeah. them asking him for things. If somebody, yeah, yeah. Don't, he's, first off, don't fucking bother me. Secondly, <laughs> uh, I, like, I thrive on hope. You know what I mean? And joy uh-huh. and uh, the fact that, like, there's a business that turns on comics and we support that business because we love it and not slowly die as the business is dying. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what, and we should probably mention what the title of our book is and everything in a second. But talking about old books supports the comic book industry as well, Pete. I'll tell yes. you what, we did Black Hole last week. Pantheon Books tweeted out our review of it, was very excited about that. So hey, that's right. cool. So I mean, the reason I bring this up is like, that is a great thing that people are doing now is they have time while these comics are on pause to go back, take a look at old runs, get caught up on stuff, find something new that they love that they put off reading for a very long period of time. For example, this one, a very little known graphic novel called V yeah. for Vendetta. Underground. From a hot young writer named Alan Moore, art by David <laughs> Lloyd and Tony Weir, letters by Steve Craddock, colors by Steve Whitaker, Shubin uh, Dodds, and David Lloyd. Uh, now, this was this had an interesting release schedule, and of course, we'll talk about the book in a second and our general feelings about it, as well as count down the plot and everything. But this was originally pubbed between March 1982 through February 1985. In Warrior Magazine, which was, I think, like Alan Moore's kind of home magazine was what it sort of was. Uh, uh, huge into Warrior Magazine. Yeah, were, were you? <laughs> no. no, I can't imagine what that magazine is publishing now. Yes. Well, uh, it was one of these uh, UK uh, yes. UK anthology, um, actual comics magazines type things. Uh, and they originally published it as 10-page stories. Uh, the end of it never got released because I guess Alan Moore started moving his stuff over to DC. Um, so warrior magazine only pubbed the first 26 chapters and then DC released it as 10 issues through the vertigo imprint, uh, from September, 1988 through May, 1989. Now an interesting little touch point that I'll mention because we did a whole Watchmen podcast called watch and watch. You should all go listen to that and check that out. But to give you a little bit of a understanding about the timeline here. So, so again, published originally most of it between 1982 and 1985, 
the first issue of Watchmen came out September 1986. So the interesting thing I think about that is this was mostly done before Watchmen, but American audiences only got to see it post-Watchmen, after Watchmen had already come out. So you kind of had that masterpiece of Alan Moore cemented in everybody's mind. Uh, And the last little thing, of course, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast, is it was made into a movie in 2005 that Alan Moore promptly took his name off of and really didn't like at all. Though David Lloyd, yes. the artist, did like it quite a bit, uh, but we can talk about that in a moment. So V for Vendetta, this is a big book, a book that I think arguably has had one of the biggest impacts of the real world as well. Uh, that all said, I, Pete, you're giving me a little bit of a face here, but people show up to actual protests all the time wearing the V mask from V for oh, Vendetta. Right, okay. They okay, use yes, it yeah. as a symbol of anarchy, a symbol of revolution, whether it's right or not. Uh, but it's something that's been adopted in the main world. And at least for a while in the mid-2000s, probably around the movie, the V mask was the best-selling mask on Amazon, I think, for a while. Um, yeah. Where people were buying it not just for Halloween costumes, but literally to, like, go out and protest shit, which yeah. is crazy. So it was a real, uh, and I mean, I think it's still, I feel like people would recognize this well above the comic book. Like, I don't think it's even the mask has sort of become its own thing at this point. Right. Yeah. And also because the mask is based on a real kind of like protest that almost happened. Um, so it's also its own thing. And then it's also in the comic book as a nice kind of like shout out, which was the artist's idea, not uh, the writer's. Uh, yes, this is based on the Guy Fox mask. Uh, thank you for reading the wiki, Pete. Uh, the Guy Fox mask. Hey, fuck <laughs> you. I saw an interview. Oh, did you? Shit, and oh, this is one of the classic Google Pete saw interview situations. Yeah. What'd you see? What'd you see, Pete? Wow. The Alan Moore interview was unbelievable. He had all these like creepy rings on and I, I, I really had a hard time whenever he opened his mouth. Uh, <laughs> because rings poured out. Yeah. Well, cause I, he's like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, uh, he's kind of a crazy person. I don't know if you're aware of that, but his interviews are kind of maddening. Rings are cool. I like, uh, if I was uh, sort of in a, a witchy sort of lifestyle, I'd wear, I'd wear a ton of rings. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I would, I would have, like, weird stones. I'd point my <laughs> fingers more and be like, hey, can I have that sandwich, you little man? Uh, That's Alan Moore is famous for demanding sandwiches from people. So also, it's fucked up that you pointed out the person was little that you wanted the sandwich from. No, like a little uh, boy, like a not like a, a not sandwich a sh- boy. Yeah, like Pete, a I'm talking about a sandwich boy. Yeah, the shorter <laughs> ones. Now, now, Pete, when you're when you're ordering your breakfast, which I believe you said earlier is consists of hope, um, where do you get your the hope that you thrive on? Where do you order it from? Uh, it's usually in the cereal box, you know, sugary uh, hope. Nice. That's what I was born and raised on. Ho- you're talking about Hope Loops? Yeah. yeah. That's the one on the box that says hope is the thing with marshmallows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about V for Vendetta a little bit? Uh, just just a no. little bit. And then let's no, go back no, to no, this no. nonsense. No, no, just nonsense, nonstop. Uh, I realized, and I realized this because I found the receipt for when I bought the book in the back of the book that I guess I had used as a bookmark originally. Um, I guess I first bought and read this around when the movie came out, probably to bone up before it happened. So I haven't revisited it since then. I got to tell you, and we'll talk about the specifics of the plot in a second. It was real hard getting into this book right now. Just from the very beginning, like the top of the second page quarantine yeah, yeah quarantines them being like make britain great again make britain all- yeah this yeah. was it was intense yeah. yeah i was like why why do we have to do this right now because the fans man we do it for the fans they tell us to do this shit uh what what did you think <laughs> about the book overall what was it like revisiting for you i, I well, imagine you did read it before i i wouldn't mind talking about like because the first time i read it i was I got very excited. I thought it was really powerful. I was like, holy shit, I was a lot younger. I wasn't quite aware of all the kind of things that had in it at the time. So the first time I I read it, I was very kind of like, holy shit, this is awesome. I want to get one of these masks. Fucking anarchy. You know, like fucking let's burn it all (laughs) to the ground. 
you know, so like then <laughs> the second time I read it, uh, it was, uh, I don't know, I want to say it was after the movie had come out and I wanted to kind of revisit it. Um, and I was kind of looking at the differences between the movie and the book and I was a little bit more suspicious, but this time reading it, it was it was a little like, hey, ooh, this is not, uh, this doesn't uh, do well today. Because That's of the way I, the world has changed or your your understanding of your worldview has changed a little bit? Yeah, I was also at this time around being like, oh, it's not as like, they just kind of talk about anarchy and they're like, you know, I thought this was more kind of like reading it the first time a little bit younger. Uh, maybe a little bit more like kind of fired up about life. Like I was like, yeah, this is a fucking revolution. This is a fucking, you know what I mean? Like this is so crazy. Um, now I'm like, oh, it just was kind of like anarchy is uh, better than being lied to. You know what I mean? It wasn't like as groundbreaking or as, as kind of like, you know. So you're more on the side of the fascists now. Well, I don't know about that. I just don't think it was. it is as kind of like. Uh, groundbreaking as I originally thought, and also when you kind of think about the uh, treatment of women in these books, it's pretty it's pretty dicey. Well, I, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. I think one of the biggest things, though, is Alan Moore has also been pretty open about the fact that they started the story one way and things changed as they were going through it. It wasn't quite as set as a lot of his other his later work. It was also, I believe, based on a short story that he had submitted for something that got rejected and that he ended up kind of tweaking it a little bit and changing it. So point being, it was like a work in progress. So to your point, Pete, I think it's not necessarily as perfect, say as Watchmen is, or some of the other things that he's done. Um, it's not quite as concrete. Um, it's a little looser there, but I well, do to think, that point, to that point, yeah. it feels very much like sort of three movements, and if they they sort of exist, especially the in between the first two books, it's sort of a rough transition. Uh, mm -hmm. Reading it, like where you get into the um, the Evie stuff, where she's uh, in the jail cell and all that, I was like, uh, it feels so different, and all that sort of superhero-y revolution stuff from the first book is is gone. It's replaced with a much darker, sort of more uh, mind fuck uh, kind of a headspace and that carries through to the end so I do think it, it is totally um, I, I had, didn't remember that coming back to it this time yeah I, and the other thing that I wanted to say that I do think affects that is two things one that he was writing it and David Lloyd was drawing it over a span of time when as usual as happens with a span of time things were changing pretty rapidly with the political situation in Britain so I think they're probably just responding to things in different ways in real time just because they were changing but it also is to the point that you were saying Pete I think looking back on it now there has been a lot more pop literature that has done things like this. Like, yeah. it's not exactly the same thing, but in a much more light way, say, Mr. Robot on TV, which is also, like, all about anarchy and burning things down, Fight Club, all of these different things that I think, yeah. honestly, probably did not do it as well, uh, as smart or as precise, particularly as this gets towards the end of the book, I would argue. Um, but as usual with these things, you go 20, 30 years down the road, there's going to be things that feel repetitious. Uh, Justin, did you read it before? Or is this, this is the first time reading it, Justin? Well, <laughs> first time reading a book. Well, yeah. So this is a comic book. Uh, no, when I was reading it, I didn't remember it. I was like, Oh, I'm rereading this, but maybe I did. Maybe I only read the first, uh, first few issues of it or something because i definitely was very surprised uh, at it as it was going on so um i the my Did you see the movie at least yes i saw i saw the movie so that definitely okay. sticks in my head much more it may be that i read it a long time ago and didn't really grasp it uh as much as seeing the movie then has replaced it in my head because all I kept thinking while I was reading was like oh i remember this in the movie oh this sticks out so much in the movie but this book is sort of it's hard it, hard to translate it to the screen. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job of it. But it's there's so much just like long dialogue tracks over action that is totally unrelated to it. Um, the 
the art is so like washed out and dystopian. Um, but the characters are uh, sort of there's so many characters so that it's hard to focus on sort of the main quote unquote the main characters. We spend so much time with the the bad guys sort of in their heads, and we never really get into V's head until later. Yeah. I mean, based on what you're saying, and it is interesting when I was reading it that I felt like the the text image thing that he hits so hard in Watchmen. This is almost like a practice run for that in a certain way before he really perfected that technique, which I like to call juxtaposition. That's a word that I like to use when I'm describing it. Um, other people don't really use that word because they don't understand it, but it means like things happen at the same time and, you know, in different ways. It's not a big deal. There's true. times like this that you're like, oh man, I'm so glad I went to Cornell and I'm so fucking smart. Wow. I mean, like literally every day, all day long. But sure, yes, Pete. It's a real weird through line through our last couple of months of podcasts. That <laughs> Pete is after Alex about going to Cornell for some reason. Well, I mean, guy, he went to Ithaca I... College, something that he clearly regrets his entire life. But that was so long ago. Why are you? What do you got a reunion coming up? What this is all we have. About? This is all we have, Justin. <laughs> this is my vendetta. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, C yeah. for C for vendetta. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, with you in juxtaposition, it's like playing Russian roulette, but all of the chambers are loaded, and every one of them is loaded with a little bit of juxtaposition. There you go. Should we talk about the plot? Let's let's run through the plot, and then I want to call out some specific moments from the book. But the broad strokes, and the thing that I think is kind of interesting about this is it is a relatively simple plot for everything that goes on. Like, there's a lot of character things that happen back and forth as they intersect. But certainly to the point that you were making earlier, Justin, uh, you read the first volume, and it's split essentially into three volumes, three books. Uh, and it feels like I don't know what is left of this story at this point. Like, yeah. they've they've ramped it up immeasurably where are they going to go from here. And it doesn't feel like it's spinning its wheels, but... Certainly, it slows down considerably a bit, uh, two and three. The story is about this guy named V, and that's all we really know him as. <laughs> uh, he wears the Guy so, Fox mask. He's he, a hot young teen. Hot young England. teen. And he's just trying to find love in the city. And does he like, find it? Maybe. Maybe. It's like normal Maybe. people, but um, with mask, with one mask. Yeah. Uh, so it takes place in, 10 years in the future when, uh, or, or so when Alan Moore was writing, it takes place after a nuclear war. Now, the interesting thing about that is he mentions in one of the notes that I read from him, I think it was in the forward to the book where he talks about, yeah, I was, we were kind of wrong about nuclear war back then because I don't think anybody could have survived it. Uh, but he imagined that it would just sort of take things down a, a fascistic, State would take over Britain, uh, extrapolating on what was happening in Britain at the time. Um, and they call anybody who's different. They call people of color. They call the LGBT yeah. community. Yeah, that's um, rough, man. Yeah. I mean, anybody who isn't white and uber mensch essentially is taken out. Uh, and they're watching people all the time, 1984 style. Into this comes this guy, V, who uh, blows up. I think the first thing he blows up is the House of Parliament, right? Which is sort of his opening shot. Um, At the same time, he comes upon a young girl of about 16 named Evie, who he brings to his underground lair. His, what is it called? The Shadow Chamber? Is that it? Uh, The Shadow uh, Cabinet? Museum of Shadows, or... Painting shadows, something like that. We're good reviewers. Uh, Whatever it is, he takes her downstairs and (laughs) uh, basically (laughs) keeps her safe for a while while he continues to work his plans, which are killing a bunch of people in the government in very elaborate ways. They are always, the government is always one step behind him. Um, The Shadow Gallery. gallery. Shadow Gallery, yes, thank you. See, Um, I told you it was some of the pictures. As things develop, it becomes clear that V has a lot of backstory, specifically that he was an escapee from the detention camps, which were death camps that they set up. They experimented on him. He ended up essentially getting some sort of undefined superpowers and going insane, um, but managed to destroy the camp, escape from the camp, track down the remaining people from the camp, uh, and then proceeded to try to destroy the entire government and bring it all down to its knees. In order to do that, he also breaks down Evie over the course of this. He rejects well, so, her. Th- yes. Hold on. Let, let's talk about maybe that's sort of the first 
book. Let's yeah, talk about that's that, a good idea. Uh, maybe yeah. separately, and then go move through the other ones because that first book is very standalone. Feels like sort of a, a superhero story, like almost like a Frankenstein. He's created by this system, and then he uh, rose up to destroy everyone that created him, and brings along this teenage girl who he rescues, and uh, sort of is she's helping him as uh, his almost sidekick or. Uh, the person that goes out to lure lures this priest into this trap. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's kind of fucked up though. The yeah, this so, part wasn't super. The next stuff felt way more fucked up. Uh, but this um, this feels like very much like a premise. I understand it. It's sort of a clean idea. Yeah, I agree. And uh, what Pete is getting upset about here is there's a sequence where the priest, who is the head of the clergy for the fascistic government, um, of course, he preys on young girls. Evie goes in as one of those young girls. She dresses herself down as part of V's plan, uh, opens the window, lures him to the bed, and V kills him while they escape uh, and leaving the priest for dead. Uh, He... Does that and worse to at least two to three other people in the government over the course yep, of the first a book. Bunch. Yep, uh, yep. And yeah, I agree. I think this is very clean storytelling. It's very clear. It seems to be jumping off of a bunch of different things at the same time, like Batman and Robin or whoever you want to call it. the The biggest thing that I took away from this first part, though, is even if it's based on the Guy Fox mask how clean the idea of that mask is that it can be anything and you can put anything into it. And ultimately that's what I think V is supposed to be as we get towards the end of the third volume is like, he's whatever you see in him, whatever you want him to be. He's essentially a void, right? Yeah. uh, We'd like, like I was saying, we get to hear from him a lot And we get to sort of see his interests. And I think we, especially out of this first volume, we really are like, oh, this person is doing the right thing. The protagonist, we like this person. Um, So I think what Alan Moore does with a lot of his work, and I feel like this is a good like proto version of it, is he's like, this is the hero. And then the hero goes and does a bunch of stuff where it's like, ooh, I don't know about, is this still the hero? And starts to confuse our uh, our hero-villain uh, dichotomy, which I love about his work. And he does it in a way where he doesn't tip it at all. It's just very much like, oh, I, you didn't see this coming. And this person also contains this side of themselves. Um, and it's, it's, it's really rereading this or reading this like – the the change is so stark as it goes on. The the Frankenstein thing is, I think, a good observation as well. Just just because that's the same sort of thing. It is this character with a soul trying to figure out how he is human again and going and wreaking vengeance on anybody who caused him harm. And that is definitely what we get here from V. Um, the the interesting thing to me about this book, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, is Evie's character and Evie's progression, because V is even throughout. We get to see a little bit of his backstory, but we never really see his face. We never even see most of his body, or when we do flashback to the re-education camp, we don't even see him, I don't think, at all. We just see his room and what his room looks like, which is obviously very purposeful. But Evie, over the course of this grows up like she literally she gets older physically and mentally and everything else um and that's kind of a fascinating character arc that i'm sure we'll delve into more when we talk about the second book uh were there any other things in the first book though that you wanted to call out pete pete Pete, Uh, it's in the first book where he's just playing and singing is that still in the first book no the song kicks off the second book okay all right yeah, we can talk about that now. We can go right into it. Did you Did you guys sing the song? Did you sing the song to yourselves? Of course. Well, no. I sing it to my children every night before <laughs> bedtime. Wow. That's bedtime. Wow. That's yeah. bold. Uh, one thing, though, about, like, can you imagine finding this as a standalone issue, like, in a comic store as a kid? <laughs> Being like, hey, uh, hey, mom, I bought some comics. And you're like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that was a, just what happened. Like, I feel like that's such a... 
comics, modern comics, it's so hard to find something this subversive that is just like hanging around. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I remember very specifically like, <laughs> this is going to be a weird thing to say, but I was really into Mouse when I was growing up, which yeah, if anybody has read that. Mouse, that's Art Spiegelman's book that was originally uh, published in chapters as well, similar to this, uh, but in Raw, which I think uh, I think it was in Raw, which was the uh, <laughs> alt comics. <laughs> what? <laughs> it just sounds like you're talking about Raw, uh, a, a pornographic magazine that you. <laughs> well, this is what I was going to say is that it was published in Raw, which was the alt comics magazine, and I was like, man, Mouse is so good. Uh, growing up, being very ensconced in Jewish history, this is so important to me. I want to find out more from this guy. Oh, he he uh, did this Raw thing. Let me go check that out in comic book shops. And it was just sitting right there in Forbidden Planet, and I was like, great. What? (laughs) So, yeah, to your point, like, I think, yes, the 90s, man. And (laughs) I think that that's sort of... I thought of that a lot while reading this, because that sort of fits with um, the thematic stuff of Evie, sort of being just a regular person, a, a victim who's about to be killed when she's rescued, and then all of a sudden she's exposed to all this new uh, information and ideas, and you see her sort of, the books about her big change throughout. Um, so I imagined a very tiny version of that, of a young me finding this in the back of a comic shop and being like, fuck, let's take it all down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think, again, this is talking about some of the bigger themes of the book versus just the first part of the book. But I think the problem with the V-mask thing is so many people misinterpret it. Like, they interpret it yeah. as, yeah, burn the shit down, let's destroy the government, yeah. But that literally is not what he's saying at all by the end of the book, and that's not the message of the book at all. But people go for that base level, government bad, people good, wear Guy Fox mask thing, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, the original Guy Fox was, he was uh, going to blow up uh, Parliament. He was basically going to blow up a bunch of people to make a statement to be like, burn it down. And I think that's why people think that. Yeah, but also I think Guy Fox has been sort of mostly considered like a, a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, like it's not like he is held up as a hero by anyone besides this character V. Maybe if yeah. he had won, he would have been as big as V for Vendetta. Yeah, if Guy Fox had a movie made out of made out of his life, that would be a fun. Yeah, if only he found a young girl to torture and trick to help him out. Yeah, didn't they make that movie though, The Fantastic Mr. Fox? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Thanks, really everybody. Deep, That's been my read, time. Deep read of that movie. <laughs> you might as well hang it up. That's yeah. not, Honestly, gonna... that movie would have been better if it had uh, more going on. <laughs> Let's talk about book two then, which kicks off, of course, with the song. Uh, the big thing that happens in book two is essentially V takes a pause. Like he says, all right. I've set up the first part of my plan. This is the pause while I make you think there is no more plan until we get to the second part of my plan, which pays off in the third book. But while that's happening, Evie goes through a whole evolution, uh, which is oh, she. Come on. Thank you. Dude. I, I'm, no. I'm on fire no. tonight, right? Don't, Pete loves don't. Why do you save no. your thank yous for the end? <laughs> <laughs> Let's make that a standard you rule. You guys love for, this, right? We can, we can all go down and <laughs> recount our favorite zings and accept our thank yous at the end. Okay. As we always do at the end of this podcast. Uh, so uh, basically what happens with Evie is after she has been left out very confusingly by V, she uh, said, you know, do you fancy me? It's okay if you fancy me. He says, here, I want to show you something takes her outside and leaves her outside in the street all alone. She doesn't understand why she ends up shacking up with this other guy who seems very nice and is very nice. Uh, And ultimately they do start up a romantic relationship, but soon after that happens, he ends up being killed by some members of the government. Uh, She's left on her own. She uh, goes to potentially 
try and kill the people who killed him and gets grabbed off the street. And then we get the harrowing sequence that Pete has been talking about where she is taken to a re-education camp, tortured, broken down. The only thing that she has is a woman in the next cell who sends her notes saying, I love you and telling her whole story. And that's the thing where she keeps onto her sanity. She keeps the one inch of herself is the phrase that she used until she says that she would rather die than give up anything about V, at which point it turns out to all be a sham on V's part to break her down, to get her out of her self and her head and the thing that society has held her in. Uh, She ends up sobbing and screaming and naked, screaming at the rain on the roof and ultimately heading into this final gambit becomes V's full disciple and full partner, I think. It finds Um, freedom is what he positions it as. Right, exactly. And meanwhile, in the background, we should also mention, because this plays in big in the third volume, is there is an inspector who is on the tail of V. He uh, thinks... He wasn't quite sure what was going on in the first volume. He starts to put all the pieces together in the second volume. Things don't seem quite right with the dear leader of the party the entire time. There's cracks forming in the government over everything that's going on. Uh, Pete, do you want to talk about your issues with this storyline? Because clearly this is this is eating on you. I, I can tell yeah. on your face. Yeah, it's just it's you know it's just this horrible kind of like torture slash grooming slash like manipulation that this dude is doing over this poor young woman. And it's, you know, it's weird because then she gets kind of like turned into his disciple. So it's like this weird kind of like fucking Jedi mind trick shit that uh, he does to her to make her see, you know, his, uh, his plan. And it's really fucked up to make somebody kind of go through all that and torture them fucking waterboarding her or whatever the fuck kind of torture uh, that she went through. Um, So it's just kind of tough because it's like, you know, um, it just doesn't kind of hold up and it's not something, you know, that should be held up as like, isn't this great? Look at what this guy did to this girl and this, that, you know, it's not cool. And also the fact like before that, it's this weird thing of like, her calling herself stupid and being like, oh, yeah, I want to help. I want to help. And he's like, fine, you want to help? I'm going to throw you in this room with this fucking pedophile. And maybe I'll get there in time where you don't have to fucking get raped. But maybe it doesn't happen. But, oh, it worked out. So I'm still cool. And then, oh, I'm going to fucking torture you. But, oh, don't I have a good reason for it? Oh, look at now. Aren't you smarter because of all you've been through? I mean, it's fucking fucked up. Like. That shit would have happened to me as soon as I realized it was a sham. That person would be no longer living. You know, like you can't do that to somebody. That's really fucked up. So you wouldn't have been working with V after the the chamber. No, you can't torture me and then fucking think it's cool. So you would have in that scenario been like, yeah, I'll tell you everything about this V motherfucker. You would have given up V. No, I wouldn't have given up V. I would have fucking gone through the whole fucking torture, you know, because snitches get stitches and I'm not going to rat on a friend. But like, you know, uh, if that once that reveal happens, we're not going to have a cool talk about future plans and stuff like that after. I've been torturing you for years and you're still here. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. I really appreciate uh, it. You're my Evie, as it's always been true. Well, oh, that's what God. I think is so interesting about this book in the middle is uh, V is not a hero here. These aren't heroic things. This is like brainwashing. This is um, yeah. putting this person through the same literal nightmare that he went through that he hated so much that he had to kill everyone involved in it. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, why are you doing this to this person except to make them like you, which is an inherently selfish thing to do. So yes, I agree. It's, it's all very bad, but from a a storytelling perspective, it's such a wild, interesting thing to put your main characters through and to make your main character, not a hero at all, to be someone who is wildly damaged and is inflicting that damage on the person that is closest to them. 
And I think this is re- reading this, like especially comparing to the movie. The movie had this undertone of romance throughout, and it sort of like yeah. didn't quite work. And here, it definitely you get the swing down into it being very uh, like ho- truly horrible. It's a, a little bit worse, I think, and it makes you it breaks you from that. Oh, it's a romance thing, so you don't mm-hmm. have to feel that that weirdness that the movie sort of puts you through. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is. Something that you mentioned, Pete, a little earlier about leaving her with a pedophile. So V throwing her out on the street, her ending up with this guy and him being a perfectly nice guy. V calls this out later by saying he is perfectly nice, but he has been broken by the system in the same way that you have been broken by the system. And if ultimately you don't break out of these patterns, if something radical doesn't happen, it is never going to happen for you. Things are always going to go exactly the same way. Uh, and this is shown through a character, which we haven't mentioned here on the podcast yet, uh, but early, I think it's the first person who dies in book one, his wife sort of ends up completely lost over the course of these three volumes. She's yeah. running along in the background, but she goes from, she kind of gets passed around from man to man. She's yeah, always scared not- to be on her own. She ends up falling even further to the point where she's a dancer at the Kit Kat Club, which is essentially a strip club without stripping. Uh, By the end, she's with a group of men who are throwing her around. The police inspector comes by and she's like, oh, please save me. And he's like, I can't. And she's like, well, fuck you. Then it just goes back to the men who are throwing her around and beating her up. Uh, And I think the point there, for better or for worse, though, is that. Evie and her are in two opposing paths. And Evie, what V is saying is not, I'm going to leave you with a pedophile, so much as if you just are always depending on these other people in this way, you are never going to break out of the patterns the society has put on you. It's the same thing as by the end, he is blowing up all of London in order to build something greater or hope that something greater comes out of the rubble. So I don't think he knows that Evie is going to develop into the new V, into the new leader of the revolution, but that's certainly what he is experimenting with. And to the point you were making, Justin, I think it is because he's broken. He is just a machine, and he is a machine built to do one thing, which is destroy the fascistic government. That is it. That is his only purpose in life. That is the only thing he could do. And as soon as he does it, spoiler alert for the end of the book, but he dies. Uh, but the other thing that I wanted to point out, like, I, sorry, I, I got away from this. The thing about the pedophile thing is the thing that was striking me reading this the entire time. But this is a very like written or comic book thing. But I was like, man, this is, this is a, he, he's really confident in this plan. Like, it feels like, like one, yeah. one thing goes different or wrong. That he hasn't predicted. And I know he's a super genius who was built this way through drugs or whatever, but it felt like something like that, where it's like, leave Evie on the street. You don't actually know which direction she's going to walk in. She walks in another direction. She ends up with somebody else or she ends up dead. It doesn't work. What is your plan then? What is going to happen? And I know it doesn't happen another way because that's how they wrote the story. But it certainly, without feeling contrived, certainly felt like, written to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that there. But I do think that's this feels like a historical. I don't know if it's because of the Guy Fawkes stuff or it it feels like this story happened and is being reported to us uh, and not that we are sort of riding shotgun as it's going forward. And I think that's because Mm of a lot of the layered text and dialogue stuff. It it feels like almost documentary, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Let's jump forward and talk about the last book where uh, all, literally all the dominoes fall down. Uh, So at this point, V decides to put his, thank you. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. At the end? Oh, at the end. I'm sorry. I jumped again. At the end. Uh, So V puts his plan into motion. His plan is basically to blow up most of London, take out the eye and the ear and the nose and the mouth and the throat uh, and all the other parts that he is the doctor of, Um, takes out the government, cuts off their eyes and ears and tells everybody, hey, nobody's watching you. What are you going to do now? But essentially doesn't believe that anybody is going to do anything on their own. 
So he waits, and he says, I am going to reveal myself on midnight on, is it Christmas Eve? Is that what he says? Or, no, I guess it's like November 9th. Yeah, because it's it's all going to be over by Christmas. Yeah. Uh, So he's going to reveal himself. He tells everybody that. Everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. It seems like his main purpose is to send the government into disarray, and then his big reveal is the computer, which is called Fate, that controls everything in London and Britain at this point. He has actually been controlling the entire time. That's what he's been doing in the background. Uh, the dear leader gets assassinated. Um, the government slowly, just very quickly, kills themselves, all the leaders. Uh, they kill each other. Uh, and ultimately, Evie realizes that his design is to destroy the government. He himself dies, and she becomes the new V donning his costume and driving everybody, lighting the spark that ultimately causes this revolution that brings the whole government down. Uh, And that's kind of where we end things at the end. Uh, And additionally, the police detective just walks away in the background, having finally thought thought that he killed V. He's figured everything out. He's the one person that other than his sanity walks away relatively unscathed out of this. Yeah, he feels pretty good at the end. He's like, yeah, all right, he's doing all right. Uh, what did you think about this ending to the book? Well, it's interesting because, like, it's different from the movie. The movie uh, makes some different choices, which is cool. But, like, the book is interesting because we don't – I think we're going to see his face. And it's really disappointing that you don't. And, but I like the fakes that it does, right? It does this thing of like, oh, my God, it's this person. Oh, no, no, no. What if it's this? You know, it couldn't just be an old guy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it was very interesting how they were, like, kind of playing with that as Evie's also mentally trying to wrap her hand, head around, like, who it is under the mask. What you know? do you think V's face looked like if you had to pick it? Well, he's kind of walked out of a fire, so I would I would say it would be kind of burnt up, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, uh, not not the greatest looking face. Did you uh, uh, did you get excited when you saw Darth Vader's face at the end of Return of the Jedi, where you're like, yes, perfect that face? Uh, no, I it. was really because I was like, that's not James Earl Jones. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, even when so, you were a kid, you were like, yeah, I was like, who the James fuck Earl is this Jones? white guy? I don't know. This guy's not fucking James Earl Jones. Uh, when I saw it, I was like, that's not fucking Hayden Christensen. Come on, yes, <laughs> exactly. Come on, man. The real Stan over here gets it. No, I mean, uh, there, so there's this whole sequence if you haven't read it, where Evie is trying to figure out V's last words to her, which is like. Uh, you will see me under the mask, but you won't see me. I don't remember the exact phrase. I'm sorry. I should have written it down. But right. she's wrestling with it, and she's, like, picturing all the different people it could be. Is it her father? Is it some handsome guy? Is it yeah. somebody else? Uh, and then finally she pictures, oh, wait, she pictures herself, how she yeah. originally was under the mask. And that's when she realizes it doesn't matter who V was. V only matters as a symbol. And that's it. Yeah. Um, which I think is, yes, which, I think that's a really smart choice. I don't know how else you could have gone. Yeah, that's the thing, though, because I kind of struggled with that. I was like, oh, I see what you're going for. But me as a reader, I'm really fucking disappointed. You talked about the person under the mask. We saw a lot of different options, and we don't get to see what's under the mask. That's f- pretty fucked up. Ah, that would have ruined it. I mean, come on. Who could it possibly have been? What face could it possibly have been? Like, even if it was like a fucked up burn face. Again, we got that in Return of the Jedi and it was disappointing. Yes. What if it was Andy Richter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. A, a young Andy Richter. <laughs> a young, Andy, a young Richter. Andy Richter. Probably yeah, 10 or 15 years old at that point, I want to guess. Yes, yeah, a, a very young man. That's how he got to gets his start in this uh, situation. <laughs> Alan Moore just it rings pouring out of his mouth, be like, Andy Richter, David Lloyd, draw Andy Richter. And David Lloyd's like, oh, I don't know who that is. He's not famous <laughs> yet. Yes. Uh, Later. Uh, the... The thing that I thought was so... I think Ed McMahon yes, would have been a little bit more age-appropriate. I think Ed McMahon is who they use for Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, my bad. The thing that struck me that so much this time... That you take off the mask, uh, and he's just like, hey oh. 
I'm glad you're enjoying that. Yeah, um, that's fun. Pete's having the, fun about that with that one. Pete's having a good time. That's good. The, uh, that's some of that hope right there. <laughs> Thrive. The uh, the thing that kind of struck me this time reading it, uh, to the point that Pete was making earlier about like the first time you read it, you're like, yeah, fucking burn it all down. Let's do this. Is I really I don't think I was old enough to understand, uh, yeah. or. V's message at the end, like specifically what he's saying about anarchy, like he very simply explains what anarchy actually is. And you read reading it now. I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. And what he says is that anarchy isn't lack of leaders. It's lack of order. And essentially the way that I read that, at least the way that V is saying it is it's basically saying trusting people to maintain their own destiny and maintain their own government and go forward without controlling their every movement. Uh, And what he is doing there at the end of the book, at least the way that I read it, is blowing everything up, burning it to the ground. There's going to be riots. People are going to destroy everything. Everything's going to be terrible. But then, and maybe it will continue to be terrible. Maybe things will never get better. Maybe another fascistic government will rise out of that. But there is a greater possibility that something good will come out of it eventually if you burn it all to the ground versus letting it keep going. Yeah, and hopefully some better female characters would come up out of that ground after (laughs) that fucking shit show was burned down. Wow, the female ally has logged on. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about this ending, Justin? Uh, No, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like, it it put puts it put V is just like like you're saying. I think the most interesting thing is in in light of especially how the mask has become such a symbol is um, V isn't a isn't a person. It's just sort of a, a tool or a catalyst that is activates other people. And I think that's the maybe the idea we're supposed to walk away from this book yeah. uh, with. That's why I kind of like the movie a little bit more for that aspect because everyone got mailed a kind of V costume. So it kind of empowered everybody. Everyone got a gift. Yeah. It empowered everybody so we could all look the same and kind of work that shell game and be like, who who are you going to rest? We're all look the same, you know? Uh, But um, that's why I liked it a little bit better because the ending was a little bit more powerful of like, you kind of control this. Don't let these assholes tell uh, tell you what to do with your life. You can kind of like take control if we all kind of are in this together. But I would argue the end of this book, V's point is I'm done. Like you don't become me. You become you. Like that's what he does with Evie. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like I don't think that would – that them him mailing other – he doesn't want to create more versions of him. He just wanted to create Evie to then bear the standard because he knew he had to go. Well, and also, and I haven't watched the movie since 2005 probably, but conformity is another form of fascism in a certain way. So I could understand why Alan Moore was like, yo, fuck this. You completely missed the point of my book here Mm -hmm. with this movie. Um, There was another interesting thing that I read uh, while we're segueing into talking about the movie here where he said part of the thing that annoyed him about the movie is they were kind of trying to make it about Bush era politics, but they still said it in Britain. And he was saying, go all the way, tell a different story set in America. If that's the thing you want to do and just like make it about this thing. And I think we talked about this extensively on our Watchmen podcast, but I think like, this is the thing that people miss in a lot of his work. And they missed in Watchmen as well, at least in the Watchmen movie, is you can't just reproduce the thing and put it on screen. You need to find the core of what the thing is about, like the Watchmen TV series did, yeah. and extrapolate on that. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, uh, just to take that a little further, since we did talk about the TV show and that book quite a bit, I do wonder if David Lindelof and company like looked at what happened with the V for Vendetta movie and extrapolated that onto Watchmen a little bit. Mm, interesting. That's interesting. And uh, we talked at the beginning of this uh, conversation about how this book felt so resonant right now at the beginning. Like, doing a version of this book now, I feel like, is even more uh, more connected to our politics and our the state of our culture right now. Uh 
way more than Bush era politics. So I think a, a V for Vendetta here in America now would make maybe the most sense of all. Yeah. Also, I think that like one of the things from the book and the movie, which I think was a smart choice, was in the book we got to see a lot of the hallways and corridors like V walked down when he was bleeding. And you're like, wow, even though this guy was almost dead, he sure got a lot of steps in. And they kind of cut that out of the movie, mm-hmm. which I think was smart. You, know? you wanted his Fitbit to be popping. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, th- close all three of those rings before you keel over. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was kind of amazing that it was in 1982 when they wrote this, but they predicted Fitbit, and that was my main takeaway for the book. Yeah. Yeah, that was the computer that he was controlling. (laughs) Uh, Fate is short for Fitbit. 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 Same thing. Great. That's a great note to end on. Any any final thoughts about this book? Do you recommend it? Should people check it out while they're hanging out in quarantine? Pete gives it a big nope. It uh, traumatized him. Is that what's going yeah, on, Pete? I've been. Uh, oh, go ahead. I, I think it doesn't hold up well, but I like the uh, some of the ideas that it's talking about, and I think that's cool. And we've seen those ideas resonate. It's he's definitely onto something with this whole thing, and it's also part of what kind of makes Joker and Batman such a great duo. It's this argument of chaos versus order. You know, and uh, and it's definitely a theme that we've seen a lot. And I think it's a kind of a creative package. Unfortunately, it's just a lot of uh, bullshit towards women. Uh, I, I liked reading this book. Um, it is sort of it feels it's not as clean as uh, Watchmen um, for the Alan Moore heads out there. Uh, but it's cool to see um, the focus on a, a particular of more of a handful, a smaller handful of characters than Watchmen was. Um, so yeah, check it out. Yeah, I think check it out as well. I mean, it might be a bad quarantine read, honestly, just because yeah, of everything stressful. that's going on in this book. But we didn't talk a lot about David Lloyd's art. It's just very good. 80s yeah. almost newspaper art is the way that I describe it, like in a very British style. Um, but his characters are very good, particularly... I know I mentioned this earlier, but the V mask is so eerie and specific and well done. And the way that he uses it both in faraway shots and close ups and his body language throughout their scenes where he's dancing with Evie that have a sense of motion to them that are yeah. very, very impressive throughout. So in terms of a piece of comic literature that you should probably read, I think you should read it in terms of understanding Alan Moore is a writer and seeing how he's developed on his road to Watchmen and then beyond. I think it's worth reading. Um, but again, maybe maybe something to get put down and then check out in a couple of months from now. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. A couple of things before we go. If you like the show, and want to support it. Patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show. Every Tuesday at 7 p.m. direct to the internet on Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out, win some prizes, stuff like that. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. And remember, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 